Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 402 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm going to ask you to agree with me. I'm going to ask you to hear me out. Now, obviously, in this episode, I'm going to be giving my predictions for the Super Bowl. I'm going to be talking about the NFL honors and who I felt should have won some awards, acknowledge who did win awards. Obviously, I'm going to talk about the trade deadline and, you know, which teams won the trade deadline, which teams in my surprise didn't uh, make much of any moves at the trade deadline. But where I want to start is acknowledgement. I want to start with it's very rare that a sports figure a figure of any stature that's not related to you that you've never met that doesn't have a personal relationship with you or a family member or anything it's very rare that that type of person exists in a lot of people's lives where they look up to that person or they for lack of a better term idolize said person usually you see it in megastars but even in that, there are very there there aren't many megastars, and we've never we haven't seen too many megastars. What do I mean by that? Like Michael Jackson, rest in peace to Michael Jackson. When Michael Jackson was here, there's a lot of people that you know looked up to him and idolized him and never met him. And you can go and talk to a lot of people, and there will there will be people that say that they you know Michael Jackson changed their life forever. You know, even if they've never even come in contact. There, there are people like Beyonce is like that. I'm sure Taylor Swift is like that. There are people in this world that you may have never met, but has an impact on your life. And for a lot of people, that person was Kobe Bryant. The way that Kobe Bryant approached basketball, approached his craft, was unlike anything we've ever seen outside of maybe Michael Jordan. And obviously when Kobe and his daughter and the other people, which I completely apologize that I'm forgetting their names, but the people that unfortunately passed away in that helicopter, though, though that was one of the moments in history, at least for me, that I'm never going to forget where I was how I felt at that moment and it was very interesting in a obviously sad way to see how Kobe impacted so many people's lives that he's never met. I've been on record saying that growing up I was an Allen Iverson guy and being an Allen Iverson guy it was pretty much Allen Iverson versus Kobe for a while especially when they were in the league and some of the fierce battles that they had. And there was a lot of people, if you ask today, there's a lot of people that say, oh, I was an Iverson guy or I was a Kobe guy. And usually that means that they didn't really <laughs> rock with the other side. They respected the other side. Like I respect, I respected Kobe fans. I respected Kobe and how good he was, but I was always on Allen Iverson's side. I've been very vocal in saying that, but I will always acknowledge it, it was different watching Kobe. Kobe Bryant 
had a veracity, had a intensity to the game that I've never seen. So when he passed, it it was it was devastating for me because you like to see, you know, your stars, your quote unquote idols growing up get old. Like, it's good to see uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar walking around old. It's good to see that. It's good to see Shaq getting up there in age or uh, Charles Barkley getting up there in age. Hell, for me, Allen Iverson getting up there in age. So it was devastating to know that I will, we will never get to see that from Kobe. And Kobe was a genuine person, even though, again, a lot of the way that he approached the game rubbed some people the wrong way. One thing that you can never say is he's not a winner. And one thing that you can never say is that he's not devoted and dedicated to whatever he puts his mind to. You even saw that after his playing days and his growth and maturation of being a father and being involved in his kids and his family and you know, the, the, the team that he had, it was tough, man. But where I, I wanted to start this episode like that because of acknowledgement, uh, the other day, the Laker, the Lakers unveiled Kobe's statue and as fitting as it was, a lot of people were speculating and questioning what was the we all knew Kobe was going to get a statue, whether alive or not here. We all know that Kobe, we all knew, I'm sorry, that Kobe was going to get a statue. He is a Laker great. When we talk about the pantheon of Lakers history, Kobe is engrenched in that. Kobe, you can, you can argue that Kobe is the greatest Laker that we've ever had. Hell, and a lot of players that played for the Lakers, whether that's Magic Johnson, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, they would echo that sentiment. So we knew that Kobe was going to get a, a statue. And it was always interesting to see, because Kobe had so many iconic moments, because he had so many iconic poses, you can say, it was always a, a talking point of which pose, which image they were going to use for a Kobe statue. Um, you can do the 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 fadeaway jump shot, which he is famous for. You can do when he was celebrating. I think it was against the Lake the Celtics, where he you know kind of flapped his jersey and and yelling with excitement for winning. You can do when he won his last championship and he stood on top of the press box and just put his arms out and just, you know there was so many a dunk you know Kobe was famous for his especially younger in his, when he was younger his high flying dunks it was just it, it was very interesting to see and think what image they were going to use and as fitting as it was the image that Kobe used was the final shot of him making walking off the court, putting his hand up to the air after dropping 81 points against the Toronto Raptors. A lot of people, you see a lot of people upset about it. You see a lot of people like, oh, there were so many other images you could have used, but I think that was the perfect one. That embodied Kobe. It embodied a, a, just a straight killer coming off the floor. Again, 
We've never, yeah, we've had an 80, 73 point game, 70 point game, but we have never seen an 81 point game after Kobe Bryant. So I wanted to uh, start this off with acknowledgement. Apparently, there's going to be two more statues of Kobe. Um, congratulations, I guess, to him and his family. Uh, but I did want to acknowledge as I started this episode the greatness of Kobe and congratulations for getting his statue, his first statue, I guess, revealed. Uh, and honestly, as I sit back and think about it, obviously you have two more or yeah, two more. So you can have two more images. I'm sure one of them is probably going to be with his daughter, his late daughter, Gigi. But um, I don't think there's another image after sitting down and thinking hard about it, I don't think there was another image that immortalized Kobe more than that. Because Kobe did always preach the whole job's not done. And while no, he didn't win a championship the this year, or no, this wasn't him winning a championship, the pose, but it was, I just put 81 on your head. And I'm and I'm acknowledging to the crowd that at least for this game, the job is done. So congratulations to the Lakers. Congratulations to Kobe and his family for getting their statue or getting his first statue, I'll say, uh, unveiled. Congrats, man. Uh, and this is coming from an Allen Iverson fan. <laughs> I I respect Kobe. So let's move forward. I want to save quote-unquote, the biggest topic for last in this episode. I don't want me, I don't want to, you know, give my whole prediction on the Super Bowl and then people just don't watch or listen. Hold on, excuse me. Excuse me. Whoa. So I'm going to wait to the end. Excuse me for that. I'm going to wait until the end. But what I want to do now is talk about the trade deadline. And the importance of the NBA trade deadline. I've said this a while ago. There are miles, or there are there are points in the NBA season that are vital for a team. Whether that's obviously the opening of training camp, opening day, you have Christmas, you have the trade deadline, you have uh, the buyout market opening. These dates are vital for NBA teams because. Not only can these days shape the future of a franchise, it can also turn the turn the fortune around for a team, or it can signify what direction a team's going to go in, whether they're going to officially blow it up, whether they're going to, you know, start the rebuild, or they're going to go all in for championships. Some teams are good enough to do that. Some teams aren't. So the trade deadline is one of those dates when it's, 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 it's extremely important to get right. There's a lot of stars, a lot of teams that are willing to get off of stars and said stars can make or break a, can make or break a season, can make or break a franchise at this moment. Now, going into this trade deadline, 
there were a bunch of teams that I felt was good and needed to make a move if they wanted to compete for an NBA championship. And let me let me stop there for a second. The question is, how do you know when it's time to pivot? How do you know when it's time to say, all right, we should not be trying for NBA championships right now, or let's say we are not good enough to do an NBA or no to win an NBA championship. Let's let's go a different route. Let's try the rebuild route. This question, this conversation stems around the Golden State Warriors not really doing much at the trade deadline. I know that they gave they traded uh what's his name? Corey Joseph for like cash consideration or for like two second round picks or something but they didn't really do anything major and before the trade deadline at the start of the season midway through the start of the season I was adamant on Golden State needs to do something to try to put themselves in a championship position that they've been in for Almost a decade now. When you look at this Golden State Warriors season, the big the, the talk has been around not only is their inconsistency, but has been around their for at least right now, their declining star in Clay Thompson. And a lot of people were wondering. I was open in saying that uh I think that Golden State's okay. Let me say it like this. Let me let me go back. Let me go back. How do you know you should try to compete for a championship? You have to understand the components of a championship caliber team, and if you look outside of probably the what two thousand three, two thousand four Detroit Pistons, every championship team has an all-time player playing at an all-time level whether we talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers and LeBron James uh Golden State Warriors they have Steph Curry they had Clay or Kevin Durant last year's Denver Nuggets they had Nicole Jokic the Milwaukee Bucks they had Giannis Antetokounmpo the Lakers they had Shaq Kobe they also had LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the bubble you can talk about the Dallas Mavericks, they had Dirk Nowinski. You can talk about the Miami Heat. They had LeBron James and Dwayne Wade. Every single championship team has a all-time player. Or outside of that, um, outside of that Detroit Pistons, what is it, 04 team, but that was probably one of the best team championships we've ever seen. Steph Curry is still an all-time player and still playing at an all-time level. I mean, I know last, like, two games ago or three games ago, he had nine points, but he followed that up with a 42-point game. He also had 60 the other night. So, Steph Curry is still in that all-time, he's still playing at an all-time level. And the thing that I, you have to understand, and this is the same thing with the Lakers, when you have a player, that is an all-time great and that is still playing at an all-time level, they might not be playing at their peak, but they're still playing at a level that can carry a team to exponential heights. You have to capitalize on that player's window. 
Now, I understand that just because you have one player doesn't mean that you're ultimately a championship caliber team. But what I'm saying is if you have that player, that puts you much closer to a championship than not having that player. And and honestly, not having that player is the difference between a championship caliber team and a non-championship caliber team. And for the Golden State Warriors, that's why I was beating on the table of you should try to go get someone like Pascal Siakam. You should try to get someone like Laurie Marketing because one thing that we know about championship windows is when they close, sometimes they don't open. But we do know that they close. And you're, you still have an all-time great player in Steph Curry. You have to maximize that. So getting back to the NBA trade deadline, I understand that the Golden State Warriors have been struggling. They, they've been struggling with consistency with their entire team, whether that's Draymond Green being in and out the lineup due to suspension. Klay Thompson just doesn't look comfortable on the floor. Andrew Wiggins, who has come on of late the last few games, but – Majority of the season, he's looked lost. He just looks like a shell of himself that he looked like. Well, he looks like the shell of the player that he looked like in 2022, which was he was the second best player on a championship on a championship team. I just thought that this was the time that you have to make a move because Steph Curry isn't going to be great forever. He may know how to shoot forever, but he's never he's not going to be this good forever. So, when we talk about winners and losers of the of the trade deadline, I understand why the Golden State Warriors, I'm not going to say didn't make a trade, but I understand why someone like Andrew Wiggins wasn't traded. Someone like Jonathan Kaminga wasn't traded. Someone like Klay Thompson wasn't traded. Let me, let me explain all three briefly. Klay Thompson... No one is going to give up anything for Klay Thompson, not just because he hasn't really been playing well these last few months, but because Klay Thompson is a essentially a free agent after this year. No one is going to give up important assets to a player that may or may not be there after next year, or I'm sorry, may or may not be there after this year. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, the Golden State Warriors is going to have a very interesting offseason now with Klay Thompson on the roster, but no one is going to give up anything of importance for a player as important as Klay Thompson has been if they don't even know if they're going to be able to re-sign him. That just doesn't make sense. Um, And on top of that, you don't – I understand – People don't like talking about it, but it's true. There's a sense of loyalty in a in a in a in a small fraction. There's a sense of loyalty to a to a player, a, a team. Let's say this: a team has a sense of loyalty to a player that has taken them to exponential heights. I understand that Steph Curry was the main person, but Clay Thompson was very integral in helping the Golden State Warriors win four championships essentially so it's very hard to just look at that and then just kick them out the door that's just kind of crazy um Jonathan Kaminga he at the beginning of the season I would say that he was probably the prime person to trade but looking over the last few weeks he has been exceptional he has been undoubtedly Golden State's second best player and 
seeing how young he is and seeing how he was he and Moses Moody are probably the two mainstays at this point of the two timeline saga I guess you could say that Golden State's trying to do uh he is Jonathan Kaminga has been exceptional so you can't really trade him and Andrew Wiggins boy Andrew Wiggins is tough to trade because of just how god awful he's been all season now yes I will admit that these last what three or four games he has come on and been exceptional he's looked like the Andrew Wiggins of old but he majority of the season he's looked terrible and on top of that he has a gaudy contract that no team is going to want to pay for a player that doesn't even look anywhere close to as good as he's been so um it's very interesting for me talking about the golden state warriors because in one hand I'm I, I, I'm admitting what I'm seeing, you know, and I'm accepting what I'm seeing. And what I'm seeing is a team that is not a championship caliber team. They have Steph Curry. They have Draymond Green, who has been really good defensively, even though the team as a whole hasn't really been good defensively. Jonathan Kaminga has emerged as a great player. But outside of that they're not a championship caliber team so and i do think that they're close to being one but they're just not one so in in one sense it's just like i don't understand why maybe the only person that you could trade was kaminga maybe moody chris paul who is an ex, who's going to be an expiring contract maybe you you try to get a lower market and maybe you try to get a uh uh dejounte murray it just didn't work but on the other hand, it's very hard for me to look at a team that literally won a championship two years ago and now isn't, in my opinion, close to a championship team. Like, I wouldn't pick them over majority. I mean, right now, they're tech- they're not even in the play-in spot. So, I don't know. Um, but let's talk about some winners and losers. Uh, I think a winner, obviously, was the... New York Knicks. The New York Knicks, and shouts out to the New York Knicks brass, man. They have been making great moves after great moves all well, pretty much since getting Jalen Brunson. You get Jalen Brunson. You get uh, OG Adenobi this year. And at the trade deadline, you get Boyan Bogdanovich. You get uh, Alec Burke. And you don't really – you have to give up players that you don't play, like Quentin Grimes or – well, he he does play, but you know you you don't have to give up an arm and a leg for these players, and it it was man, they have they have been doing in, exceptional at this trade deadline, and seeing the injury with Joel Embiid and the inconsistency, especially when we talk about defensively for the Milwaukee Bucks. I can go as far as saying that this team that is the New York Knicks is arguably the second best team in the East. I'm still not ready to uh, crown them the best team over the Boston Celtics yet, but they're making some moves. And when when Julius Randle gets back and obviously Ochi Adenobi gets back, it looks like he has 
um, I think elbow or shoulder surgery or something that he's going to be out for a couple weeks, which was very interesting <laughs> that the Knicks announced that at the trade deadline. <laughs> so no, nobody would try to trade for him, but um, yeah, man, it's, it's the Knicks incredible winners of the trade deadline, man. Um, I think another winner would have to be uh, the 76ers. They're going into this trade deadline, there were a couple of names that we kept hearing could be traded, should be traded, will be traded, that essentially weren't. Like DeJounte Murray, he was probably the number one player we heard about. Is he going to get traded? Is he not going to get traded? We didn't know. Uh, Kyle Kuzma from the Washington Wizards was one of them. Uh, P.J. Washington could have been a candidate. Kelly Olynyk was a candidate. Gordon Hayward was a candidate. But a name that a lot of people forgot, and a name that a lot of people, because he's been on the trade deadline or trade block for a minute, but a, a name that wasn't really spiraling around the airwaves, this trade deadline was Buddy Hield. And Buddy Hield, in my opinion, going to the 76ers was the best get that someone can get, man. I mean, the 76ers give up uh, Korkmaz. They gave up Marcus Morris and, like, a couple second-round picks. But you get the player. You get Buddy Hill, and he is pairing him alongside Tyreek Maxey, uh, Tobias Harris, and a healthy Joel Embiid. That That is a incredible what for a, a a foursome right there that's that's incredible um i understand that buddy hild hasn't been you know defensively he's not all the way there as far as being a defensive stout but buddy hild is going to be exceptional for the 76ers man there were a lot of really sneaky really good moves like pj pj walker or i'm sorry pj washington going to the Dallas Mavericks for Grant Williams, Seth Curry, and a first-round pick. First of all, reports are coming out saying that Grant Williams rubbed people the wrong way already. Like, bro, you just got there. I don't know the validity to the report or whatever. I'm not saying that the person reporting is lying. I don't know what rubbed the wrong way means. That's that's not definitive, but that's tough. (laughs) He was a big off-season acquisition for the Mavs, and now he's out of there. Now, yes, I do agree that P.J. Washington is probably better than Grant Williams and Seth Curry at this time, but that's just big. Um, I think it was a sneaky move. All these moves are pretty good, in my opinion. Pat Beverly going to the Bucks. We know about the Bucks' uh, defensive woes, especially at the front court with Damian Lillard and um, Malik Beasley. I think... Patrick Beverly brings a level of toughness and a level of defense that the team hasn't seen this year, at least. Uh, I don't know if that is a move that's going to take them over the top because you still have Doc Rivers as the head coach. But I think that's a great move, man. Um, I'm not going to talk about this. I mean, Royce O'Neal going to the Phoenix Suns, I think that gives you another rotational player that can play. Uh, Kelly Olynyk and Ochi Adabaji going to the Raptors. That was that was a big move because Kelly Olynyk was a move was a player that 
if he was to go to a championship caliber team, he can make all the difference um, with his height, with his shooting ability. I think that if he would have went to Golden State, that would have been a, a slam dunk move for them. If you then went someone to, somewhere like, let's say, uh, the Phoenix Suns, that would have been a slam dunk move. But he went to the Raptors, a team that's not really contending and, you know, uh, Dennis Schroeder getting traded to the Nets for Spencer Dinwiddie. I'm starting to think that they they passing around Spencer Dinwiddie. <laughs> like he continues to get passed around, which is crazy. He even got bought out by the Raptors already. You know, like I said, I talked about the Knicks getting Alec Burks and Boyan Bogdanovich. Uh, probably one of the biggest moves that happened. One of all these obviously are winners in my opinion. Um, Outside of probably Dennis Schroeder getting traded to the Nets for Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, that's really just signifying that the Raptors have absolutely no intention of winning like, at all. Uh, but Gordon Hayward going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Let me let me first, let me first. I understand that this is not the I, I see highlights of Gordon Hayward going around social media. And it's hilarious because, man, the, you see Joe Johnson in these highlights. You see Paul Pierce on the Clippers in these highlights. You see Paul Millsap in these highlights, all players that are not currently playing right now. I think it's very that's it's it's hilarious when I see these highlights. But I will say that the Oklahoma City Thunder are or is a team, let's say, that is ahead of schedule as far as this whole rebuild thing. They're, they're, you stockpile all these draft picks. You hit on a lot of the draft picks, and you still have a bunch of them. And you're a young team. You don't expect to be this good. But when you have Shea Gilders-Alexander, who is currently amongst one of the leaders in scoring in the league and amongst one of the MVPs, you have Chet Holmgren, who's been incredible. You have Jalen Williams, who's been great. You have a lot of these young, great pieces the one thing that you're missing is a vet. Now, I'm not saying that getting Gordon Hayward is going to put the OKC Thunder over the top, even though I do think that they're number one in the West right now. I think that it helps them navigate how to operate as a team, and it, and it helps them navigate their, their way through the season and essentially once the playoffs get come come about. I think Gordon Hayward still obviously has – some juice left in him. I don't think he's the Utah Jazz Gordon Hayward anymore, but I, I think that he is a good pick. I think that I, I think it was a very smart pick for the Oklahoma City Thunder, especially when you look at how their their aspirations for this year has changed. And I think that they're going to be they're going to be great um, with Gordon Hayward. So those are some. Moves that have that happened that I think you can, I guess, essentially call themselves winners as far as the trade deadline. Let me talk about some of the losers. And honestly, the losers, in my opinion, aren't because of trades that they did make. It's because of things that they didn't do. Like, for instance, the L.A. Lakers. I just talked about the Golden State Warriors, and I talked about how important it is to maximize on the window that your star provides for you. 
And when you have a superstar like LeBron James, who, while no, LeBron James obviously isn't the prime LeBron James, and you're not getting, you know, the Cleveland Cavaliers LeBron or the Miami Heat LeBron, he is still amongst a, a, a top player in the league. And on top of that, even though we talk about his inconsistency, you still have a top player in Anthony Davis. When Anthony, I've talked about, I'm, I'm not going to, go in detail but I've talked about this at nauseum when Anthony Davis is on and when he is playing to the best of his ability you can argue that he's a top five player in the league so when you have those two but you still see the issues that this LA Lakers team has whether that's their lack of shooting their lack of point guard production their lack of guard production uh, it, it, it's, it shocks me that when you have guards like a DeJounte Murray out there and you don't pull the trigger on him or there and names were spiraling around as far as the Lakers were a top team to get DeJounte Murray and I think that DeJounte Murray could have been that piece to get them to that championship level and you don't pull the trigger in fact I don't think you make any moves I think that that's 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 a misstep for me, uh, as well as honestly, I think it was a misstep for the for the Atlanta Hawks. It, it kind of feels the same way how it felt with uh, John Collins. It's just you keep dangling a player's name in trade de- trade talks and trade deadline talks and offseason moves talks. At some point, you're going to have to trade this player because. You're just making it a weird dynamic now with the team. And, all right, well, DeJounte Murray, we all thought he was leaving. Now he's staying. Okay, cool. Now you're hearing reports that Trey Young might be on the move this offseason. It's just a lot. And when you have teams that's willing to give up uh, players, draft picks, assets for a player that you essentially don't want anymore – I don't understand why you just don't pull the trigger. I'm not. I'm not saying that you had to send Dejounte Murray just to the Lakers, but as you as has been reported, there were teams lined up to get Dejounte Murray, and you didn't pull the trigger on any one of them. So I don't know, man. That was just kind of interesting to me. Um, so I think the Lakers and the the Hawks were kind of losers. Unfortunately, I talked I just talked about the Golden State Warriors. I think that they were losers because again, I under a, a lot. Let me say this. This roster, they can win a championship. I know it, it kind of contradicts everything that I just said, but it doesn't in the same sense because you still have Steph Curry. This roster can win a championship. This roster pretty much essentially won a championship two years ago. But a lot, and I mean a lot, has to turn around for this team. Andrew Wiggins has to continue the three or four game streak that he's been on of looking like the Andrew Wiggins of old. Um, Clay Thompson has to completely reverse and look more like the Clay Thompson that we remember him to play like. Uh, Chris Paul has to come back from injury and be a six man of the year candidate. There has to be, there has to be so much 
that needs to change that I don't see it happening. So, but I would say if you were able to get maybe a Lori Marketing, that, that's why I said Pascal Shockin was a huge name to get. Maybe if you were able to get a Buddy Hield, maybe if you were able to get a DeJounte Murray, that could have propelled you to, to, or that could have helped you with a lot of that changing sooner. So I do think that Golden State was a, was a loser too. And I, I hate, I hate, I feel like I'm, I'm, um, I feel like I'm kind of dogpiling on this team. But another loser for me is the Chicago Bulls, bro. I think it's so important to understand your place in the NBA right now, and to understand how good you you can be, how high your ceiling is, how low your floor is how much distance is between the two i it is vital to know that for an organization and it every single time i look at the ball chicago bulls and i see that this is yet another free agency cycle or not free agency cycle i'm sorry this is another tr- trade deadline cycle that they don't make any moves it doesn't make sense to me look i understand that zach levine is hurt now and i think out for the season But, spoiler alert, a team that has DeMar DeRozan, Nikola Vucevic, Alex Caruso, Zach Levine, and an injured Lonzo Ball is not winning you a championship. Period. I'm feeling, what I feel about the Bulls is the same way I felt about the Washington Wizards when they were holding on to Bradley Bill so long. Look, I understand that you want to make it work with this core. I understand that you want to, you feel that, you know, a team that has a star like DeMar DeRozan, that has a star like Zach Levine, should be able to get you over the hump. I understand the thinking, but I'm looking at the results and the results have not been there. And when you have teams that want an Alex Caruso, that'll give you assets for Alex Caruso. When you have teams that'll give you assets for a DeMar DeRozan, a DeMar DeRozan who was good, don't get me wrong, but you're not winning a championship with DeMar DeRozan. And he's shown that you have not been able to build around said player. Why do you continue to hold on to said player? What, what are you trying to do? It doesn't seem like the Bulls, let me say this, the Bulls maybe know what they're trying to do. Maybe they're just trying to hold out for Lonzo Ball, who is not going to be ready this year. And we honestly don't know if he's going to be ready next year, seeing as though he hasn't played in like two or three years. It just doesn't make sense that this is yet another NBA trade deadline to come and go and they don't make any moves. And that's a team that is going nowhere. These stars are getting older. Zach Levine is out for the season. And you, even perfectly healthy, you've seen that this team is not good enough to win a championship. So what are we doing? It just it doesn't make sense, man. It doesn't make sense. But hey, that's the that's that's the that's the hill that you've decided to die on. Good luck to the Chicago Bulls. So, yeah, those are some of my losers, man. The Lakers, the Bulls, the Golden State Warriors, um, the Atlanta Hawks. There were some, like, individual players. Like, I think 
I mean, you see the issues going on with P.J. Tucker and the Clippers and how he desperately wants to get out the Clippers, seeing as though they don't really use him. Um, I thought that Bruce Brown would be a vital piece in the trade deadline, seeing as though he's on the Toronto Raptors right now. And the Toronto Raptors are kind of, you know, kind of, they are actively tanking. So, I don't know. But that has been uh, the trade deadline. So, yeah. Let's move on to my reaction or my breakdown of the NFL honors. Now, let me first say congratulations to every single person that was awarded an NBA trophy. I mean, no, I'm sorry, an NFL trophy. Uh, You know, I was actually... For my prediction to what really happened, I was damn near perfect. I only got two wrong. Um, but, you know, let's see. Comeback play of the year. A lot of people were fighting that um, DeMar, DeMar Hamlin should have won. I thought if we're just talking about life, yes, obviously DeMar Hamlin should win. But if we're talking about football, I thought Joe Flacco should have won. Joe Flacco won. Uh, Will Anderson Jr., won the defensive rookie of the year uh cj stroud won offensive rookie of the year the non-quarterback mvp pretty much is the offensive player of the year and they gave that to christian mccaffrey um i thought that i understand that it was a big night for the houston texans seeing as though andre johnson was also one of the finalists that was named to the or he was a finalist that was named to the Hall of Fame, and obviously you you had a player that won defensive. Actually, you had defensive rookie and defensive offensive player of the year for the Texans. But you had a team that nobody nobody thought was going to be good this year. We knew that Will Anderson Jr. was going to be good. We knew that C.J. Shaw was going to be good, but nobody thought that they were going to be second or divisional round of the playoffs good, and they made it with a first-year head coach in D'Amico Ryan. So I'm not taking anything away from Kevin Stefanski, who essentially won the coach of the year. I mean, you had to deal with not having Nick Chubb, not having Deshaun Watson, having a litany of injuries on both sides of the ball, having to get Joe Flacco off the couch and essentially make it to the playoffs which is one big reason why Joe Flacco won the comeback play of the year. But so I understand Kevin Stefanski. I understand the, the argument for Kevin Stefanski to win player of the or coach of the year. But again, I understand you didn't want to make this like a complete sweep for a team, but I don't see, I feel like that was probably one of the biggest snubs of the night. And that was D'Amico Ryan's winning or losing the coach of the year to Kevin Stefanski. Again, D'Amico Ryans is a first-year head coach and took his team, a team that didn't even win five games last year, took that team to the NFL divisional playoff round. Now, yes, you essentially lost to the Baltimore Ravens, but again, you beat the team. I understand that this is a regular season award as well, but even in that, the... (sighs) I just feel like D'Amico Ryans did more to deserve it. I'm not saying that Kevin Savansky didn't deserve it, but what I'm saying is I think that D'Amico Ryans deserved this award more. But 
it went to uh I think that was probably the biggest quote unquote snub of the night. That was Kevin Stefanski beating D'Amico Ryan's for Coach of the Year. Now the second snub of the night. Let me first say I understand how good Miles Garrett is. I understand Miles Garrett is by far one of the best defensive players in football. Uh, he ranked seventh in sacks. He was the leader of the best regular season defense. Um, I understand that to the up to this point, Miles Garrett had not won an uh, defensive player of the year. And I'm not upset that Miles Garrett won the defensive player of the year. But when we talk about the numbers, when we talk about the stats, and I would understand if it was a total team. It feels like they awarded Miles Garrett the defensive player of the year award because he was the leader of arguably the best defense in football in the regular season. So it seems like that's probably why they gave Miles Garrett. They didn't give it for his individual play. They gave it because he was the leader. And while his individual play was great, the the Cleveland Browns as a defensive whole was the best defense in the regular season. But this award is not the defensive team of the year. This is the defensive player of the year. And if you look at almost every single metric of defensive player of the year, it's baffling to me how T.J. Watt didn't win this. Now, I'm not caping for anybody or nothing, but T.J. Watt, we just said Miles Garrett was seventh, right, in, in sacks. At, with 14 sacks on the season. Well, T.J. Watt was first with 19. T.J. Watt also was among the league leaders of solo tackles. He was among the league leaders of quarterback rushes. He had one interception. He had four forced fumbles. He had a, a forced or fumble recovery touchdown. I just I just don't understand again if this was the defensive team of the year I get giving it to Miles Garrett I'm sorry in the Cleveland Browns but this is the defensive player of the year and TJ Watt leads in damn near every defensive category at least solo category so I don't understand how he didn't win but hey, I get it. I get it, man. Uh, I do think that if we're talking about snubs or robberies or whatever, I do think that Miles Garrett probably shouldn't have won over T.J. Watt, and I definitely don't think Kevin Stefanski should have won over um, over D'Amico Ryan. Shouts out to everyone that did win. Shouts out to Cameron Hayward that won the Man of the Year award. For the, from the Steelers. Um, oh, man. Last thing I want to talk about with this before I give my Super Bowl prediction. 
You know what I hate? I hate when minuscule things, I hate when things that shouldn't matter or things that are out of your control affect history. I hate that people that have to be dependent on to give honest, unbiased opinions and votes drastically affect history. Lamar Jackson won his second MVP, rightfully so, rightfully deserved. Lamar Jackson won his second MVP under the age of, what, 27, 28, being the first player to ever do that in the NFL. No, second player to do that in the NFL, first one being Jim Brown. And he's actually, he's the second player in sports history to not only win a Heisman, but win two MVPs under the age of 27, I believe. And the first person to do that was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But Lamar Jackson had the opportunity to become the first player in sports history, I believe, to win two MVPs. Both of them be unanimous. And he came one vote short. And that vote went to Josh Allen. Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to this podcast. I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, to the um, league. But Josh Allen did have an exceptional season. But Josh Allen did not have a better season than Lamar Jackson. If we're being, if we're keeping it a buck, Josh Allen didn't have a better season than Dakota Prescott. Ryan, Josh Allen didn't have a better season than Christian McCaffrey. So why did you vote Josh Allen? Look. I understand it was a local reporter. I know Stephen A. Smith talked about him, and I don't remember his name, so I'm not going to say his name, even if I did. But it just sucks how one one guy that gave an unbiased opinion or that gave such a biased opinion ruined history. I'm happy for Lamar Jackson. He still obviously won and deserved to win MVP this year. But when you're that close to history, it sucks that it was taken out of your hands by someone that obviously did it because he wanted to appease his local market, even though there's no way in heaven or hell Josh Allen was going to win the MVP, which is interesting to me because it's like, if you knew Josh Allen was not going to win MVP, why the hell would you vote him MVP? Like, you were the Josh Allen only had one first effect i think josh allen didn't lead in any vote point like he didn't lead first place votes second place votes or third place votes what that's a way that's like remember when um during the presidential election and like harambe was a candidate or even though i love his music when kanye west was a candidate it's like why are you wasting your votes on kanye west bro you know kanye west is not about to be the president 
you can feel how you feel about Kanye West. You can feel how you feel about his music. You can feel how you feel about some of his takes. But you know good and god dang well, Kanye West is not winning the presidency. Why are you voting president? Why are you voting him for the president? Why did you vote Josh Allen? You know what it is? I know how they say that like writers and reporters and stuff shouldn't vote on MVP. This is the reason why. You gave you are a Buffalo Bills reporter. So I understand why you did it, but that is that takes the integrity out of it, you know? Oh man, that sucks. But I'm happy for Lamar for still winning his second MVP, man. It definitely well deserved. Um So it's out to you. So Moment of truth, man. I'm not going to go into great length and great detail about how the Kansas City Chiefs got here or how the 49ers got here. But what I will say is that the 49ers and Kansas City Chiefs are playing in the Super Bowl, which is tomorrow. I've talked about this before, but legacies are important. Both of these teams have a lot to play for. Obviously, both teams want to win the Super Bowl, but there is a lot on both teams' shoulder. When we talk about the, the 49ers, you have Brock Purdy, who can be the first player in NFL history to win a Super Bowl after being the last pick in the draft. For people that continue to come at my neck about Kurt Warner, Kurt Warner was undrafted. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan, you know how many times he's had his, he's been at the proverbial door. I mean, he they went to the Super Bowl just a couple years ago to play the Kansas City Chiefs, and it wasn't for a couple ill-fated passes from Jimmy Garoppolo. They could have, they probably essentially would have won. But when we talk about Sean McVay, he is solidified with you know being one of the great young quarter or coaches in the league and having a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan has not done that yet. And Kyle Shanahan is considered one of, if not the best, offensively gifted coaches in the league. You have players like George Kittle. You have players like Debo Samuels. You have players like Nick Bosa. You have the hometown kid in, well, Washington hometown kid in Chase Young. There is a lot that this team, this team, can be one of the first team well one of the first teams probably since hmm, probably since the first Baltimore Ravens championship where their team is so now obviously that Ravens team had the one of the greatest defense of all time but this 49ers team has a chance to put the nail or pretty much say okay while our quarterback is good, it doesn't matter if you have a great quarterback or not. If you have a great team, you can still win. And we just need – that's the same thing that they tried to do with Jimmy G. Yo, just don't beat up – just don't do stuff to lose the game, which he essentially did, and we'll be good. This 49ers team is loaded. And this is the same 49ers team that felt that they should have won last year if it wasn't for – every single quarterback they had on the roster getting hurt in the NFC championship. And for the 
for the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, no, what? what? <laughs> for the Kansas City Chiefs, you know how rare it is to be considered a dynasty in sports? Do you know how rare it is to be on the cusp of greatness, to be on the cups of dynasty? It is, we have not seen an NFL dynasty since the Patriots. There was a, there was a brief moment where we thought we were going to get a dynasty from the Seattle Seahawks. Obviously, that didn't happen. For a brief moment, we thought that we were going to get a dynasty from uh, just them two. <laughs> but we didn't. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs has the opportunity to legitimately be able to call themselves a dynasty. Not now obviously it's not on the same level as, you know, those old Steelers dynasties, the old Cowboys dynasties, the Washington Redskins at the time dynasties or the the Patriots, but they have a chance to be on that list. And there's a lot of singular accolades that people can earn like right now there is a huge debate between who is the goat of of football is it Patrick Mahomes is it Tom Brady Travis Kelsey is in that you know is he the greatest tight end of all time uh Chris Jones is one of the best defensive players we've ever seen it's just but but Andy Reid is he one of the greatest coaches we've ever seen there there's a lot of singular awards that can be won with this but when you're on a dynasty when you're on when you have the opportunity to play in a dynasty and play for a dynasty you want to see that opportunity seize that opportunity I'm sorry who do I think is going to win this game Honestly, man, this this game, in my opinion, is going to be dictated by the Kansas City Chiefs. And what I mean by that is the Kansas City Chiefs has the best player for, from both teams, and that's obviously Patrick Mahomes. And even though that he has come up big in a lot of areas, and he was a key factor in them winning both the Lions game and the Packers game. Brock Purdy hasn't been great the entire game, and there has been moments where Brock Purdy has thrown balls that can pretty much 50-50 balls. And He's playing against a defense that is unrelenting. I mean, a defense that shut down the Baltimore Ravens, and the Baltimore Ravens are one of the best offenses in the of the year. I understand it also was in the cold and everything, but they also shut down the Dolphins, and they shut down the Bills offense. All three offenses are incredible. This is undoubtedly the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has ever had. And I think that as we've seen with both the as we've seen with both defenses, the 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs, 
the running backs are going to be in, in, integral for this game. I think that you can get – we saw against the Packers, you can run on this 49ers team, especially Isaiah Pacheco and <laughs> how hard he runs. And you're about to go against the best uh, running back in the league, the offensive offensive player of the year, and undoubtedly one of the greatest running backs we've ever seen in Christian McCaffrey. And you're going against the 40, even though this is a vaunted Kansas City Chiefs defense, they did have a hundred and like 80 yards rushed on them against the, I don't, which frustrates me to this day why the Baltimore Ravens just abandoned the run, but the Bills ran all up and down them. So I think that if the Kansas City Chiefs are able to slow down Christian McCaffrey and make Brock Purdy beat them, which he can do, that that means it's going to be a duel between Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy. And I don't know anybody, probably not even in the state of, or not even in the great state of California, that would pick Brock Purdy over Patrick Mahomes. Now, I will say that as a overall team, I do think that the 49ers is a better overall team than the Kansas City Chiefs. But that's the same thing I said about the Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs, and you saw how that happened. And that's the same thing I said to a lesser extent about the the Bills, and you saw what happened there. And as much as I like Brock Purdy, I'm not picking Brock Purdy over Lamar Jackson, and you see what that defense did to Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen. I think that it's going to be a good game, and I wouldn't be shocked if the 49ers won. But I'm going to go with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Kansas City Chiefs are incredible. And I think that when you – it's very rare that you can even play for a dynasty beyond the cusp of being on a dynasty. And you take that moment and you run with it. And seeing as though – it's been it feels like it's been a tougher road for the Kansas City Chiefs to get here than the than the 49ers. I think that that's going to not to mention most of the 49ers have been obviously to a Super Bowl when they played against Patrick Mahomes before, but I just trust this Chiefs team more than I trust the 49ers team. Um so I'm going to pick the Kansas City Chiefs 31 the San Francisco 49ers 27. Yeah. Yeah. That was my pick. Let me know what you guys think. Uh, now you have it, man. That has been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your unpopular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, man. I'm trying to reach as many subscribers as I can. It definitely, definitely means a lot. I post content pretty much daily. I post new episodes Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, so tell if you like the content, tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe. And it definitely means a lot. Um, I also... Please subscribe to all my DSP listeners. Please subscribe to wherever you listen, whether that's Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, uh, Spotify. It definitely means a lot. And 
you guys are extremely important as well. So please subscribe to wherever you listen to uh, the Unpopular Podcast. Also, follow social media, man. Follow Instagram. Follow TikTok. I post pretty much daily. I post stories. I post reels, um, polls. Definitely, you know, that's probably the best way to interact with me is on social media. So definitely, definitely follow. It means a lot. Uh, just a heads up, I probably won't be dropping an episode on Wednesday. I'm going back home uh, for vacation and everything. Um, so Wednesday, I probably won't have an episode. So I'll probably see you guys next Saturday. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope you guys are cool. And until next time, much love.